What up, CalvaryCast listeners? Episode 111 coming into your ears today. <laughs> the soothing sounds of Graham Parker and Jess Miller. There we go. It is a hot day. It is hot. A hot week. So what better to do? Sit around, maybe your pajamas. And listen to the podcast. Right? Listen to the podcast. Uh, your pajamas, maybe uh, sit in the pool. Sipping a cool drink. If they've got a pool. Yeah. You've got great. a pool. We have a kiddie pool that you could come sit in. That's gross. <laughs> I can't sit in one of those little. Well, like it's got, we have a filter pump thing and chlorine and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So. Really? So yeah, is I'm, that a bigger than a it's little It's a bigger kitty? than a little. It's, you know, like 12 feet across and like two feet deep. Oh, okay. So it works for our kids. Yeah. Kill does it kill it kills your grass wherever that is, though I take it? Well, or? I built like a pad area that it sits on and stuff. Of course you did. But it's not like well done, right? Like it's not like some people, you know, they're perfectionists perfectly level. This is yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a slow. Well, we were looking into those. It it if the bigger they are, the more important that levelness right. I think really matters. So. And this is the size where when the kids, you know, desecrate the pool you can dump it out and it's not like (laughs) they haven't done that yeah okay okay i mean like yeah i'm sure they have you know some anyway right the water just gets gross naturally because it just happens and it's not like a big pump and yeah it's not a real real pool but it's better than a plastic kitty kids don't care though honestly most kids don't don't. yeah they'll just that water can be slimy and they don't care Uh they'll get in there yep yep so I'm like, yeah, whatever. 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 Uh, did you watch that video on Creamer last night? I hate, I didn't watch it yet, no. Oh, man. You sent it, we were walking, and then I went to bed and we got back, and That's that was that. So, yeah, no, I'll watch it today. Is it a good, good, it's informative? Hilarious. Oh, it's funny? It's funny. Well, that's okay. my coffee guru guy I like to watch. and uh, He's making fun of Creamer because he probably doesn't <laughs> like Creamer or what? No, he would not drink coffee or right. creamer. Right. Uh but but he's testing all of these to see like do they taste like what they taste like and that's pretty I funny. See. Okay. So if you like funny faces and responses to things, there you go. Yeah, I'll check it out. I'll check it out. I just say that cuz of the coffee we're drinking. Yeah. Uh that all? I think so. Topic of the day. We're going back to yeah. Sharnock's goodness of God. Which, okay. We haven't done is, in a long time. I'm going to pull it up right now because I got to look back and see. It's been, uh, I think it's March when we last did a little. Wow. Uh, yeah, hold that on. That was a whole nother lifetime ago. That was a whole nother lifetime ago. I don't even remember when we talked. Okay, it's episode 103, three months ago. Okay. It's called On the Goodness of God. So maybe we should just give people, yeah, a little bit of backstory again what we're doing here. Yep. So this is uh, from Stephen Sharnock, and he was a Puritan pastor and theologian. Dig the Puritans. They're so cool. That's right. And this is the work he's most well-known for is what we're looking in, and that is the uh, existence and attributes of God, which is a huge tome. It's massive. As a matter of fact, Crossway just put out their new one. Which I might buy. I think so, too. Bigger font, some explanatory notes, updated some of the words and that. Should be helpful. The one thing I did, his his sentence structure is challenging at times. Yeah, that's the other thing. They shortened the um, 
sentences. So oh, Puritans were known for their paragraph long sentences, <laughs> and sometimes that's hard to follow. So they shortened those a little bit while staying true to right. the intent the, of the author. Okay. But at any rate, uh, this is, yeah, it's a, it's a massive work, and we're only looking at one section of that, one. which is a book in itself. Right. And that's on the goodness of God. On the goodness and we of God. only really got through his first main heading last time. Well, so if you haven't listened we to got that. through, yeah, so if you haven't listened to the first heading, go back and listen to that. Now we're going to cover the second heading. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a little, like, calculation in my mind today. Mm. We will do this series for years at this rate. At this rate, we will, yeah. We might have to pick it up. At some we point. might figure out how to condense, maybe draw out main points of some it's of it. It's so hard to condense. Right. So we'll see what we can do. So let's get into it, huh? So uh, as me. Puritans are known for, they are very uh, outline-oriented, right? right? Here's point one, point two, and they're often building yeah. on their points. And so in his last, the last episode we talked about, he just kind of introduced us to this idea of the goodness of God and some things right. like that. So the second point, or you got That actually, point. yeah, we were going to talk about that. Just a, a minute of that, yes. just saying... If you read the Puritans, they're not. To, there's a couple things on that. First of all, they're not meant to be read fast. Correct. They're meant to be read very slow. Well, maybe in that day you could have read them faster, maybe. but they take a lot of thought. Mm-hmm. So it's work mm-hmm. to walk through one of these. But it's I think is rewarding. Very rewarding. Most of the time. Yep. So most of the time, as I like, I've read through this section that we're looking at three times. I think, mm-hmm. um, and saw different things and different connections. But then the other thing to understand is that they're, they, each point that they give. So like we have a sub uh, main heading two, Mm -hmm. which says the second thing is some propositions to explain the nature of this goodness, Mm -hmm. the goodness of God. And he's got seven then sub points under that. Mm -hmm. And each point seems to build on the one before. Right. right? So they just keep going and then they'll go a little further with that in the number two and then a little further in that and another implication, you know, and go down seven times. So if you decide to pick up some of these, Things like this would be really good to get, honestly, if you wanted a challenge and something you might not read cover to cover. Yeah, you're no, you're not going to read this cover to cover. Right. If so, if you go went to Crossway and you ordered the new updated deal they have in in that on this, uh, the existence and attributes of God, you could read maybe just one section once and then return to it in a number of months yeah. and read that. But you you read it a lot slower and and try to learn how the Puritans right. thought and. And with that, one other before we dive into uh, into the discussion of this topic itself, itself, but the and we've talked about this before. The Puritans show us the art of biblical meditation, very uh, robust biblical meditation, where they are taking one verse, oftentimes, and here it's the one from Mark ten or eleven uh, about Jesus speaking to the rich young ruler and him calling Jesus good. Anyway. Uh, there is a, a wealth to be learned from how to meditate upon the scriptures and to to look for little details. And right. I think the, the Puritans help us do that. And I'll plug for next month's Book of the Month. It is going to be a Puritan book that will be a good introduction to the Puritans. Yeah. If you've not read them, it will help. The other thing, too, one more thought on the Puritans as a whole. They're so pastoral, right? right. This is That's initially a series of lectures given to Charnock's church. Yeah. Keep that in mind if you start reading this. These were this was what he taught his church. When people think that our services are long or hard, right. 
Oh, come on. Yeah. Come this, on. These were sermons that he delivered at his church or lectures or whatever in some kind of class setting. They're doing these lectures. They didn't have air conditioning. Right. They didn't have heating. Right. They didn't have padded pews. Yep. So yeah. there we go. And I, I I don't know for sure, but I bet their children just sat there with them and listened to these. No nursery? I don't think they did. No children's church? No, they just sat there and listened to these with them. We are wimps. Uh-huh. We sure are. But... Um, but with that, also I was going to add into that that pastoral element. He they're ta- he's taking a doctrine like the goodness of God. He's explaining it and what it is. But then pastorally is his meditation brings him to application yes. of it. Yep, yep. And why this matters. So I think that's really the art of meditation that the Puritans had: mm-hmm. meditation on a topic or. Uh, a passage of scripture. Oh, and remember the goodness of God is this whole, uh, everyone that will go through on the goodness of God sprung board from the one verse where Jesus said, you did mention that. Yeah. There's no one good, but God. Yep. And so this is just his meditation on that. And and as he brings it, so it's really good. Uh, Okay. All those caveats aside, are we ready to, we are, they're not caveats. They're just introductions. Introduction. Things look for. All right. The uh, second point. The propositions to explain the nature of his goodness. So we talked about this earlier. We're just going to num- walk through them, right? Right. And kind of make some points on what he's saying, and, and trying to articulate what we think right. he's saying, and then maybe some application. Yeah, and, and we're, we're trying to dumb down or summarize yeah. in short. Not for our listeners' benefit. Not of because down. you're no, dumb. We because we're dumb. This. Yeah, so we had to sit there and like kind of <laughs> wrestle a little bit with what he's saying in that. that that's why I'm enjoying it. It's a good exercise. But I do this in the morning with coffee. You can't do this in the afternoon. It would be very hard <clears throat> to in the afternoon to do this. Okay, we've belabored long enough. All right. Point number one, God is good by his own essence. What does he mean that God is good by his own essence? So we think about the essence of God, the being of God. Okay. Uh, what God is, his very essence, his very being is good. Okay. Okay. So... Um, he is God. He says in here that uh, he, he makes some application to that for then uh, God cannot be bad because of that, of course. God is good as he is God and therefore good by himself and from himself, not by participation f- from another. He is good by his own nature, right? And if you think about that, just in contrast to what we are, all goodness that we or any other creature derives comes from God, right. but he himself is good of his very own essence. Yeah. I think uh, that's the idea. And, and I think the other thing too is it's not like a tacked on attribute. Right. Right. He says goodness is not a quality in him, but a nature. Yep. So it is his very being or his very essence is, is goodness. Yeah. Not a habit to be added to him, but his very essence. Yeah. So that's where he begins, just by when we understand uh, who God is, we understand he is good in his essence. He is then infinitely good, and he is unchangeably good Mm. then, because this is the essence Mm -hmm. of his being. Right. He can never become not good. Yeah. And out of that goodness, which is eternal, flows all the displays of his goodness and his goodness, which we Right. Yep. And he's in this this immutability or this unchangeability of his goodness means that no matter what is going on or what happens, 
we have that affirmation that God is good, right? A lot of times people say this to themselves and it's good. It's like, God is good. God is always good. God is good all the time. And we're saying that because we're recognizing the situation we're in might be bad, but God is good in that situation. There's a real comfort there. Good. Okay. uh, Point number two he makes, God is prime and chief goodness. Yes. So a couple quotes in that just to try to kind of wrap our minds around uh, what he's saying. He says things like this. I'll just read what I have highlighted. He's being good per se, and by his own essence, he must needs be the chief goodness in whom there can be nothing but good, from whom there can proceed nothing but good, to whom all good whatsoever must be referred as the final cause of all good. Nothing can add to him or make him better than he is. Nothing can detract from him to make him worse. So he's saying something similar to yes. what he just said. Yep, but a little different. But just a little, yeah, nuance different, just kind of bringing it one step further and uh, making sure that we, we, that we understand that idea that... Um, you know, as he says here, the goodness of a creature may be changed, but the goodness of the creator is immutable. Uh, he is always like himself, so good that he cannot be evil, as he is so blessed that he cannot be miserable. So it seems that he's emphasizing uh, his immutabil- the immutability of his goodness, but also the fact that creation does not add to or detract from his goodness, right? Yep, yep. He, he makes this statement, how can he be made better by any that hath from himself all that he hath? Yes. Right? So if we have any goodness in ourselves, how can we add any goodness to God when it comes from him? Right, and this is important. He says this because of what he's about to say, I think, in the next two points, mm-hmm. right? About that communicate. So I think that's where he's beginning. So that you understand all goodness derives from him. He's unchangeably good. He is good in his essence, right? And I thought about just one application to that. Um, that means that whatever God, if he is goodness in his own essence and unchangeably so, right? And um, he is the prime and chief goodness, then what he tells us is good mm-hmm. is good and what he tells us is evil is evil right mm-hmm. that means like his law then is good and the reason we need to maintain that obviously is because we live in a culture and in a context as many christians have and still do where the culture is defining what is good and that good is the opposite of what god has said is good right. well then we know right. it can't be good and that's why we we have to understand that is his law and the goodness of his of his law never changes. So it isn't like in the especially like think about the realm of sexual morality. Mm-hmm. It isn't like now God's changed his mind on those things. Right. Like his grace and, and forgiveness and the cross. Now these these moral good qualities of the law have changed and now those things are okay no it, god's goodness is unchangeable he's unchangeable in his essence and, and his goodness is that way and therefore whatever he says has said is evil is still evil yeah and whatever he says is good is good so we need to let god um define for us 
what, what is, is good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause so often we define goodness by our own sense, right? Our own perceived of, of, of what is good. Uh, un, under oh. this, uh, well, I was just going to mention one other thing because he kind of makes two sub points or so under this, right? He makes this, this heading that God is all good and then nothing is good, but as it resembles him. And by that, the first one by that God is all good. He makes this point that I think is interesting when he's saying that, that there are things that are good in their kind, right? He makes things after their own kind, and and food he is good of a kind, light is good of a kind, but nothing is good in the all-encompassing sense that God is, right? right. And in that same way, then nothing is good as it resembles, but as it resembles Him. So if there's a goodness in something, it's reflecting. Yes. A goodness that God has yes. in himself. Yes. So he is the, the source of that goodness, which means, too, that we shouldn't seek ultimate goodness, yeah. right? In, in the sense of delight, right? Yeah. In, in, yeah. In anything that he has made above him. Mm-hmm. And that really the, the chief pursuit of goodness, if you're looking for goodness, mm-hmm. right? The chief pursuit of that would be found in God. Right. And in him, all you would find is goodness. In that way, these other things, we can, if as long as the things he's made, we use in the appropriate way, which is to reflect his goodness, like a good meal, mm-hmm. right? This reflects God's goodness mm-hmm. to me and in all the ways that we can unpack that. If we make that thing the ultimate chief goodness, then that's where we get messed up. Well, and this is, I mean, we're going to, I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. This is where he's leading though, right? It all leads to the glory of God. Yes. So the goodness that we see and experience in the world should be turned back to praise and glory, right. right? Like as we eat the good meal, why is it that we give thanks to God for that? Well, it's recognizing this good thing is from him. That's right. And it, it obliviates pride in us. Yes. If we do something good and we can take pleasure in doing the good. We'll talk about that because yeah. that's what goodness does. Goodness takes pleasure in doing good for another. But we don't take credit for the goodness. We all, we understand that the this, any good we did is meant to bring back glory to God, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, our good works, we're saved for good works, for the glory of God. Right. So everything needs, with him being the chief goodness, everything needs to be reflected back to him. Yeah. Uh, point number three, God's goodness is communicative. Yeah, that's a fancy word. But if you think about the word communication, it's not just speaking about talking, right? But um, it's it's talking about what God can give or what. So so let me put it this way. When we, we have attributes of God that are divided in under two headings in some theology works, right? You have communicable attributes of God and incommunicable attributes. The incommunicable attributes are things like omnipresence. Mm-hmm. He can't give that to anybody, right? Um, and the communicable attributes are things he can give. Well, goodness is one of those, but I don't necessarily think that's the nu- nuance he's going no. with here, right? So he's saying that God's goodness is... Because he's good, he has a strong inclination to do good, to communicate that goodness out to others. It has to do with activity, right? That's right. Uh, Psalm 119, 68, you are good and do good. Yes. You you are good and do good, 
and by necessity almost that because of that goodness, it wants to do this. We'll get into that. He yeah. builds on all those things, right. but we can, we can notice that right away. And um, I like how he puts here, it's this goodness communicating itself to his creation is not for his own interest or his own benefit, but the good of the object it is bestowing the goodness upon. He says as well, he created the world that he might impart his goodness to something without him, because, well, yeah, and diffuse larger measures of his goodness after he had laid the first foundation of it in his being. Yes. So creation is in creation God is actively displaying his goodness. Would that be maybe another yeah. way to rephrase Well, it is, it? yeah, and he gets to that, right, in, I think in a whole point. But he says here under this one, the divine goodness being the supreme goodness is goodness in the highest degree of activity. Okay. And he says, not an idle, enclosed, pent-up goodness. So it's not mm. like he has all this goodness and he keeps it to himself as a spring shut up or a fountain sealed, bubbling up within itself, but bubbling out of itself, a fountain of gardens to water every part of his creation. Hmm. So especially when we keep coming back to creation, but he'll build on that, and everything that you see is God's goodness overflowing to and for us. Yeah. In this goodness. Okay, point number four. God is necessarily good. And this one we talked about earlier. There's a lot of stuff in this point that's fascinating. Right. But what does he mean when he says that God is necessarily good? It means that he is good by, well, as he puts it here, he is good by nature, not only by will, as he is holy by nature, not only by will. Uh, in other words, it because he is good in his essence, this is how I'm understanding what he's saying it is necessary that he is good hmm. and that what he does is good and that in his communication of his goodness, it be good. Does that make sense or no? <laughs> in other words, he can't do anything. <sighs> it's necessary that he is good. And especially in the communication of his goodness, which was point three, that be good as well hmm. because he's leading to something here with the creation yes. that we were going to park on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so he can't do... It, it, so he says it, it was not necessary that God should create a world. He is the creator, but right. not necessarily the creator. By that we mean it it's, wasn't necessary for him to create. Because if, if it was necessary for him to create, then you're saying that something is missing in him. Yes. Right, that, that creation right. now adds something to him, yep. and that's not the case. But what he says then, is, and this is illustrative, I think, of what he's talking about, if he is going to create, it is necessarily a good creation because he could not do anything other than yeah. that. He could not create anything other than a, good a very good creation. We see that in Genesis 1. Right. That's why we can, I mean, that's proven biblically. In Genesis 1, he creates, and it's very good. He saw all that he had made is very good. Well, it had to be. Yeah. Because it came by the supreme goodness, God, the right. supreme good one, and uh, and he communicated that goodness through his creation. So when he looks at the creation, it is good. Can I make try and make a bad illustration here? Like when we we create something, we don't necessarily need to create, say, a table for our house, but we do create a, a table for a house. But because we are not necessarily 
like in our being the best creators, right. that table could be a bad table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We have potential to create bad and we could create bad on purpose. Right. Yeah. I could intentionally create a table that will break when somebody sets a plate on. Yes, because that would be funny in our <laughs> ungoodness. Yeah. Okay. Right, but God is not that way. When yeah. he creates, and this is crude illustration, creates the table, it will be necessarily the best table. Yeah, yeah, and good. <laughs> and good. Okay, so if you have the heading good, best would be under that as well, right? Right. Like, in other words, there couldn't That's be a true. better than what he did. Yes. So the goodness is the the attribute that would necessitate everything he did being good. And all of all of its communications being good. I hope that my illustration just didn't ruin the point. Well, but, I don't think so. I think it does. That kind of proves a point, right? Okay, yeah. But they all fall apart. All illustrations fall apart at some point. It, they do. They do, yeah. But I think anyway. it was. And I think, though, so in this one, we wanted to park for a minute. Yeah. Right? Bring, out, bring out this really, two. there's two really important points. Okay. The first one, he says, is this. Now, so... He says he could not create anything without goodness as the motive and the necessary motive. His goodness could not necessitate him to make the world, but his goodness could only move him to resolve to make a world. He was not bound to erect and fashion it because of his goodness, but he could not frame it without his goodness as the moving cause. Now, listen to this, and I'll, I'll make what it just stood out to me. He could not create anything but he must create it good. So think about Genesis 1, and he saw all that he had made, and it was good. It had been, it would have been, in other words, inconsistent with the supreme goodness of his nature to have created only murderous, ravenous, injurious creatures, to have created a bedlam rather than a world. A mere heap of confusion would have been as inconsistent with his divine goodness as with his divine wisdom. A, a bedlam is, is most literally a, a mental institution, but any place of confusion or uh, insanity, all right? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and I, I read that and I thought, yes, that is to me the strongest case against evolution. Yeah. That could be made. And Christians, especially in recent times, uh, under men like Francis Collins and others, these Christian scientists have tried to uh, merge together actual evolution. And I'm not just talking about uh, old earth theory or whatever. I'm talking about single-celled organism calling up billions of years of chaos, of murderous ravenous injurious creatures of death yeah of things that are bad and a bedlam right a a place of confusion in that system of thinking that that's what god created and he's saying that would have been inconsistent with his goodness it had to be created the way it's described in genesis 1 in a literal way i'm not talking about necessarily the six days though I hold to a literal six day. I'm talking about orderly created systems and structures that God looks at and says, this is very good. Right. And so that, that was to me the biggest case against evolution that I've ever read. 
drop. That was a the, mic drop. That was a mic drop. Right? The, the goodness of God would not allow him to create an evil, broken, disastrous world. A, a world of the evolutionary theory. Yeah. Yes. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, yeah, that's astounding. It is. That's a good point. He makes another point, which I think is really, really good. Because so he creates the world good, and then we have the fall into sin. And so we think about the fact that why would God allow, he creates this perfect world, why would he allow it to continue in sin? So he makes this point. He say, some say that God, after he had created man, could not presently annihilate him and take away his life and being. As a sovereign, he might do it. As almighty, he was able to do it as well as create him. But in regard of his goodness, he could not morally do it. For had he annihilated man as soon as ever he had made him, he had not made man for himself and for his own glory, to be loved, worshipped, sought, and acknowledged by him. He would not then have been the end of man. He had created him in vain, in the world in vain, which he assures us he did not do. So he's making this point that that even that it would have been opposed to the goodness of God mm-hmm. to destroy or to annihilate creation after he had created it. Very yes. good. Yeah. Which means then still there is goodness even in a broken and fallen world. That's right. The goodness is in seeing God, well, in a number of things, but him promise in Genesis 3 Christ and yes. the deliverer yeah. and the restoration of the goodness that's going to come. And you think about it, if, if say God cannot create anything that is not good. Satan was good when God created him. Yeah. He's very good. He fell along with uh, a third of the angels and uh, becoming demonic forces yeah. against God. They went from being good to bad, not of God's doing of their own. And then Adam and the Eve, the pinnacle of his creation that were designed most specifically to reflect his goodness, his good image in this creation, they fall through the rejection of his goodness. Yeah, They reject his goodness for something they thought was better that they were missing out on. So they sin against God. They reject his goodness. And he still then, instead of annihilating him, demonstrates his good nature in preserving, Hmm. providing for them, and uh, promising the Savior. And hey, that was uh, alliteration. I didn't even mean it. Uh, (laughs) He must be a preacher. Yeah. And so (laughs) it's, it's the whole story of redemption is a story of God's, being of goodness to his creation. And Jesus says this, uh, even in his preaching, he'll talk about the fact that, look, love your enemies and do it like God does it. This is how he does it. He does good to them. Yeah. He does good to them, Hmm. even though they're his enemies. Hmm. There's evidence of his goodness, even in providing for those who hate him and reject him. Yeah. That's the goodness of God. Yeah. All right. Point number five, we got to, we're 30 minutes in. We still have three points left, so okay. we'll pick it up a little bit. Yeah, God is freely good. What does he mean when he says God is freely good? I think what he's referring to in that is that God, okay, God can bestow his goodness freely. He is not under compulsion to do anything that he does. Does that mean? Not compulsion. Um, he may be under compulsion with his goodness, but under Obligation, Obligation. that would be it. Yeah. Uh, Under obligation. So even when we see the gospel, his goodness moved him to act in this. 
But even in his, his display of ultimate salvific goodness, he can select by his own free will upon whom he's going to put that on. And this really is, I think, this point is especially building on the last point, right? Yeah. On the necessity of his goodness. Yeah. He makes this statement, God is necessarily good in his nature, but free in his communications of it. Right. So how, and how he chooses to display his goodness yeah. He is free in. Right. But when he displays his goodness, it's necessarily his goodness that is being displayed. Right. And that's why <laughs> with that. his point, with his point, the point before saying that, uh, you know, he wouldn't have been able to annihilate human beings. I think sometimes I, I, I like when I read that, I sit back and I think, okay, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But. I don't 100% know if that lines up with what he's saying in this point of his freedom to display the goodness. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if he's Mm -hmm. free to not display goodness or to display it upon whom he will, then why is he saying, why are we so dogmatic about him not being able to just annihilate and Mm -hmm. start over? Mm -hmm. I am saying that all of that is a display of his goodness. Right, yeah. What I don't know is if that lines up with his point six. So maybe, maybe... Sharnock is not inspired of the Holy Spirit in all of his points like our scripture. <laughs> he's but, not. But maybe we're also misunderstanding his, what he's saying. Right, could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's free in his goodness. Anything else you want to bring out there? Nope. Uh, point number six, the goodness of God is communicative with the greatest pleasure. I think this is a great point. I do too. What does he mean when he says that it's communicative with the greatest pleasure means he enjoys doing it yeah he He delights to share his goodness yeah uh he makes this he says this point he is most delighted when he is most diffusive and his pleasure in bestowing is larger than his creatures in possessing yes god delights to freely display his goodness more than we even delight in receiving it and enjoying it that's right Uh, And, and he doesn't he isn't wearied by our what he calls he, he says it this way he is not wearied by the solicitations of men hmm. yes he yes, is yes. pleased with their prayers because he is pleased with them imparting of his own goodness so there that that's such a a helpful point when thinking about when we go to god in prayer right he's pleased to hear our prayer he's not put off by them that's right you know, it's interesting. Uh, this morning I was reading in Daniel when um, Nebuchadnezzar said, kill every uh, magician, sorcerer, right. uh, prophet, person, whatever, because they can't tell me what my dream mm-hmm. is and its interpretation. And so Daniel sought the Lord on this and the Lord showed him. And when the Lord showed him what the dream was for, he even talked to Nebuchadnezzar. It says some of the fact like he, he just praised the God of heaven for this. Yeah. And if you think about it, he was pleading with God because he knew he was going to be killed. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, I know you could do this, do this. It was God's delight to mm. do that for Daniel. Mm. And it's, I guess, obviously it's all much bigger than that. But right, it's right, like right. he delighted in that. And then what happened was Daniel delighted in God. Mm. And this is so cool because... God is uh, 
Piper says it this way, John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied yeah, in him. Yeah. So when he does good for us and we see that, mm-hmm. like we act, because sometimes we miss his goodness, right. but he'll come in with an act of goodness that's so clearly from him. And then from us erupts this praise mm-hmm. that brings him the maximum amount of glory in this, I think, in our lives. So that leads to the last point, point yes. number seven. Yeah. The displaying of this goodness was the motive and end of all his works of creation and providence. Yeah. So you can maybe ask the the question, why did God create the world? Was it flippant? Was it careless or without purpose? And the answer is no. And what the point Sharnock is making is that it is the goodness of God as the chief end for which he created the world. That's right. He produced creatures, said Sharnock, that he might be known, Hmm. be known in his goodness. Everything that we see is supposed to be, again, that idea of that reflecting the goodness of God for his own glory. Hmm. And um, God delights in himself, right? Sharnock even talked mm-hmm. about this. Mm-hmm. He delights in himself because he's the ultimate goodness. But in that goodness that necessarily flows from him, he wants that goodness to be seen in others for their benefit, mm. not because he derives anything from it other than the pleasure of bestowing the goodness in the creation, yeah. but for the good of the creature who sees him and yes. glories in him. And and he makes this point about God creating creatures with intellect and reason, the ability to see the goodness of God. Yes. And I thought about that, and here's another mic drop point in a sense on evolution right if you hold to that worldview that god created through evolution then you have millions and billions of years with a creation that is not able to appreciate and to enjoy the goodness of god yeah right like it took billions of years to get to man who has the ability and the intellect to see those things. yeah so because we are to be the worshipers in this world and by worship in this context, I mean we are the ones who see the goodness of God. Yes. And we glory in him. Yes. And um, in evolutionary structure, that didn't happen for millions of years. Yeah. And so, and even in now, when we think about in the gospel, and the whole Bible is about God forming a people from himself in among a world that sees God's goodness, but then suppresses the knowledge of it in their own unrighteousness. Romans mm-hmm. one, they'd rather have sin and stuff than yeah. God. They glory more in the creation than the creator. Uh, and, and so all of this rejection of God in the whole Bible is about God forming a people who see him for who he is, love him and worship him. Yeah. In, in, in all his goodness. And that is, growing now through the gospel and as as the Lord is building his church, we are to the people that are supposed to see the glory of God in all things, the goodness of God in all things, and then respond to him with worship and praise. Hmm. That's a good ending point right there. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast today. We hope that this conversation has been thought-provoking and helps you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship and serve our God more. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, consider giving us a review and a rating, only five stars accepted, and sharing with your friends. 
Uh, we love to hear from our listeners. So if you're a part of our church, you know how to get a hold of us. You can just come up and talk to us, send us a text, give us a phone call. Outside the church, send us an email at thecalvarycast at gmail.com. Send us your feedback on the podcast, questions you may have, or a topic. If you want us to tackle a certain topic, send it our way. If you leave us some feedback, who knows? It could be read on the, uh, on the podcast. Follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at thecalvarycast. At Calvary, we exist for the glory of God, the good of his people, and the Great Commission. So until next time.